Tonight we're going to read from Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, we'll be reading verses 5 through chapter 4, verse 1. sure what happened to the crayons. Hopefully you can find them. Let's uh, hear the word of our God, Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 5. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to John and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So far in the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, we uh, come to this awesome passage of our Savior's righteous fulfilling of the law for us. And we ought to tremble, but Lord, we also are coming to a passage of great tension in your church. And so we pray for humility, we pray for love, we pray for clarity this evening. In Christ's name, amen. 
Well, as I said, we're coming to baptism as a means of God's grace. And uh, it's almost impossible for us at this point in the history of the church to talk about this sacrament without the the whole discussion revolving around debate. (laughs) That's sad, isn't it? Because uh, the Lord's Supper isn't quite at that point, even though there's also a lot of debate, but with different people. Uh, right? It, it's, it feels different when it's the Catholics we're, we're arguing about the Lord's Supper with or something, as opposed to baptism, where it's often within Protestants. Like, the Catholics aren't interested in our discussion of baptism. They, they don't care what we think. Uh, and so it feels closer to home. It feels more painful, I think, because of that. Um, so we come to this, and I, I've been praying about how to tackle these catechism questions, uh, and, and I'm actually not going to just work through the catechism questions. I'm instead going to uh, focus with each sermon on one or, or more uh, statements that, that have just become assumed within the Protestant Church of America. And the, the question with some of these statements, with all of these statements I want to ask is, are the statements that we just assume to be true uh, are they supported by Scripture? And so we start with two questions, or two statements, rather, that um, have to do with mode. Mode is how much water and how you apply it. Uh, and then we'll get to some of the other things uh, in future weeks, like who should be baptized. Uh, but we're, we're going to divide those two questions to try to just think about how much water or uh, in what format it's administered. And so I think there's, there are two things that we hear just made as statements uh, in the church today about mode. Uh, one of those is that uh, obviously baptism is done by immersion because in the Bible, Jesus came up out of the water. And the other thing we'll hear often is that baptism, or the Greek word baptismo, means to immerse. And therefore, baptism is to be done by immersion. Both of those are statements that are just said, declared to be true. Um, the, the second one, I, I, at least twice a year, will have a dear friend over lunch or something. It just happened to me a month and a half ago. Uh, just make the comment, you know, we, we did our baptisms down in the river with immersion because, of course, baptism means to immerse. And it was kind of a joke. We knew we disagreed, and I didn't bother uh, interacting with it at the time because we weren't there to debate, right? It, it was a joke, uh, sort of, because he actually does care and believe that, right? And so it, 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 was, it was friendly, but also serious. And... and That's okay, I think, because as we get into thinking about baptism, I I want us to realize that the worst position on baptism is one of apathy. I'm glad when people who disagree with me about baptism are enthusiastic. That's That's a positive word, right? Enthusiastic in arguing with me. Uh, not because I enjoy it. I actually really don't enjoy the discussion because it's such a, a, a fight in the church. But it's a good sign because it means you actually believe what you believe. Uh, you're not just 
saying whatever you've heard somewhere. So, so apathy is the worst approach. But as we think about the, the mode and these two thoughts, I was going to cover both of these statements we hear about the mode, that uh, it's immersion because Jesus came up out of the water, and it's immersion because the word baptismo simply means to immerse. Uh, and I realized it was going to be a really long sermon. So we're just going to focus on the first, and I hope that doesn't seem too simplistic of a sermon this week, uh, because the bulk of the content is next week, but, but uh, I, rather than doing a 40-minute sermon tonight, we're going to just think about this first thought, uh, that Jesus came up from the water. And of course, here you can look at our text, Matthew 16, uh, th- uh, chapter 3, verse 16, when Jesus had been baptized... He came up immediately from the water, up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. Uh, Mark says a very similar thing. Mark 1, beginning in verse 9, we read, Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan, and immediately coming up from the water, immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. So both of these passages have this idea of Jesus baptized coming up out of the water. And so what we hear in evangelicalism today is this shows immersion. He came up out of the water, and that, that means he was under the water. Uh, simple argument, isn't it? Um, but when we look at Acts 8, which is another part of that chapter several weeks ago in terms of preaching, and the word. Acts 8 is that story of Philip and the eunuch. And in verses 38 through 40, this is what we read about the baptism part of that passage. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he was baptized. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. So if you look at these three passages together, they all contain three thoughts. The first, I should say four thoughts. The first is going into the water. The second thought is a baptism has taken place. In all three, the phrase about was baptized is in the past tense. It happened. And then the third thing we read is there was a coming up out of the water. And then the fourth thing has to do with the Holy Spirit. We'll come back to that. But... Uh, These four elements are in all three of these passages, but the thing about Acts chapter 8 is that it very explicitly tells us about the going into the water and the coming out of the water. It's both Philip and the eunuch that go into the water, and it's both Philip and the eunuch who come out of the water. And it's the same language being used. One word is different in the Greek, but overall it's the same exact language statements other than being in the plural in Acts chapter 8. And in each, again, in each instance, after going in, before coming out, there is a past tense baptism before the person comes up out of the water. And and so there are two things that we can do with Acts chapter 8. We could say that Philip's approach to baptism was one of dipping himself with the person, right? Uh, Acts chapter 8 says they, they both went down into the water. They both came back up. So if we're talking immersion, Philip, we're told, grabs the eunuch and says, one, two, three, and they, they dunk together and then come up 
out of the water. It's an immersion that includes the preacher in the baptism. Uh, but of course, Acts 8 doesn't really permit that because it's, they both went in, he baptized him, singular, and now they both came back up out of the water. And so uh, the first option not only doesn't really fit with the he baptized him, the idea of both of them going under, uh, but it also doesn't fit with what anyone I've ever heard of says. I'm sure someone in the history of the church has had this idea that he's going to dunk with the person he's baptizing. I'm, there's always someone. But, but throughout church history, no one has really argued that the pastor and the person baptized go under together. So the only other way to read Acts chapter 8 is to say that the going into the water isn't the going under the water. It isn't the <coughs> baptism itself. And the coming up out of the water isn't the baptism itself. What we're being told is they went down to, in Acts chapter 8, whether it's an oasis or a river, we're not really told, uh, and they, they go into the water, and then the baptism takes place, and then they come out of the water. And it's the same type of language we read of Christ in the Gospels. So it raises the question, can this phrase, he went into the water, necessarily prove that an immersion took place? What I've just said doesn't prove it didn't take place. Right? Just so we're clear about what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that Acts chapter 8 proves that baptism is not immersion. It doesn't say one thing or the other about that. It simply doesn't prove immersion with this phrase, going down to the water and coming back out. It doesn't prove it one way or the other. There's nothing, in other words, said about the amount of water or how it's applied. Uh, just, to, just to put this in a, a clear perspective, um, a couple of years ago, uh, I baptized Caleb and Shay back to back. So I went, we could, we could use the language of this. Let's see. Both Nathan and Shay went down into the water and I baptized her. Then she got out and now, now she came up out of the water and then Caleb got down into the water and I baptized him and then we came up out of the water. Right? That, that's the kind of language we're seeing in Acts 8. In other words, the going in and coming out is the equivalent of me, in this instance, getting into a pool with the person, and then I baptized that I, I immersed them in the pool. The, the immersion was there, but the getting, me getting in and out is what this language is about, which isn't the baptism itself. And that's, that's all I'm arguing about that from Acts 8. But it raises the question, since there's all this parallel language between the occurrences in Matthew and Mark and the occurrence in Acts 8, it raises the question of whether we can argue that for Jesus' baptism either. And I would add, why the singular when it comes to Jesus? Why isn't John, we're told, getting out of the water as well? For the same reason that I stayed in the water when Shay got out and Caleb got in. John was baptizing dozens of people a day. He stayed in the water doing whatever it was he did there, baptizing, and the people baptized got in and out. 
And so these three passages don't prove immersion. They also don't disprove it. And we're going to have to think more about mode next time (laughs) under that second question of does baptism mean to immerse? But I want to think about these three passages then and what we perhaps miss, what we perhaps miss when we focus on that, those, one, uh, those, those, those phrases and think that those phrases therefore prove immersion. But if we remove that from what those phrases are about, they came out of the water. What is it that we always miss because we're focused on arguing a mode over reading the text? And it's that fourth thing I mentioned. In each of these texts, no sooner does the person come out of the water, then what do we find? I should say, who do we find? We find the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit falls upon Christ. The heavens are open. He descends upon Christ and then drives Christ into the wilderness. In Acts, the Holy Spirit is present. And having done a work and the baptism having taken place, The eunuch goes on his way, but the Holy Spirit takes the preacher and sends them off to do the same thing over and over again somewhere else. In other words, there's this this connection in each of these passages between the importance of baptism and the work of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And how often do we actually think about that when we get caught up in our baptism debates? How often, when you think about baptism, do you think about the Holy Spirit? That's an important question because he's there in each of these passages. He is a necessary part of understanding each of those passages about baptism in these historic narratives. And yet, so often when we talk about baptism, the pronouns uh, I, or if you hold to a different position, we, right? I, 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 or we, 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 uh, but how often is our discussion about the Holy Spirit? Recall what Titus 3, 5 says, that the Holy Spirit is the one who does the washing of renewal. The washing of renewal. How can you read that and not think of baptism? Mode aside, right? Whatever, whatever mode you think is the right mode biblically, again, we'll talk more about that next week, but surely washing of renewal by the Holy Spirit should pop into our minds when we think about baptism, the Spirit doing a work. Or Ezekiel 36, which we'll reflect a little bit on next week. But in Ezekiel 36, in the Greek Old Testament that Jesus sometimes quotes from. We read from God that he will sprinkle them with pure water and they shall be clean. And he will put his spirit within their hearts and give them hearts of flesh. And in the Greek translation, which we find quoted by Christ and his apostles, the Greek translation translated sprinkle with baptismo. Something we'll reflect more on next week, but the Jews understood a connection between whatever God is doing with this language of washing your heart and giving you a new heart uh, 
and the work of the Holy Spirit. So Titus 3, 5, Ezekiel 36, it's verse 25 of Ezekiel 36. Uh, Both have this emphasis on the Spirit's work. And surely we ought to not remove the Spirit from the discussion. How, How powerful that the New Testament also refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of unity. The one uh, in in the the benediction in Corinthians, uh, the communion of the Holy Spirit. Surely, throughout Corinthians, Paul is saying the communion of the Holy Spirit should be the unity of believers. And how ironic that the Holy Spirit, who's present at all these baptisms in Scripture, is left out of our conversations about baptism itself. So we need to make sure that we're keeping the Holy Spirit, front and center in all of this. In fact, right in the text we read tonight, we find John the Baptist tying the Holy Spirit in essentially, essentially, irremovably from our baptisms. Because he makes a distinction between what he's doing and what we have received after Christ's resurrection. He says, I baptize you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And just so we're clear that John is saying, not simply that the inward thing is done by Christ, by the Holy Spirit, and the outward baptism we receive is John's baptism. Remember that in the book of Acts, there were men found as Paul and Barnabas went on their missionary journey, men were found who had been disciples of John, had been baptized by John, but they hadn't stuck around. They'd taken John's message out to the Gentiles, and so they hadn't been there to see and hear Christ. And what do Paul and Barnabas have done? These men are re-baptized, which is something the rest of the New Testament says we don't do, but they're baptized in the name of Christ, because John's baptism was a preparatory thing, not the same thing as what we experience. Now, again, that doesn't say anything about mode either, right? (laughs) That's not what I'm pointing us to here. What I'm suggesting is that John is making a clear distinction between what we have and what he did, and specifically that he can only bring the outward thing, right? John could only get people to repent. Actually, we know that only the Holy Spirit could do that, right? John is the preacher of repentance, calling men to the outward thing of baptism. But there's something different that Christ is doing. And the Holy Spirit is the one in whom we are baptized. And remember what Christ says of that. He says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Acts Acts 2, the day of Pentecost. Peter reflects on Joel saying that, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Once again, that's water language, isn't it? We keep coming back to this water language with the Holy Spirit. So we've been given this this rich sacrament, one of cleansing by the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit. preach a sermon on mode, and I haven't argued a position on mode, other than just arguing that these passages don't prove a position on mode. 
um, we'll think more about these things next week. We'll think about that, that statement that I made at the beginning that does baptismo always mean to immerse? Does it, I'm, gonna, I'm even going to take it a step further next week, I hope. Does it always mean it? I'll, I'll even take it, does it usually mean it? Does it usually mean to immerse in the scriptures? We'll think about that more next week, but I, I want to leave you with this now. I know it's short tonight, but I want to leave you with this now, that as we think about baptism, we must think of the blessed third person of the Holy Trinity. And we need to ask him uh, to uh, bring us that unity he brings, to do his good work within us. Otherwise, all our discussions about baptism are just outward. If we forget about the work of the Holy Spirit, it's the sign without the seal. It's the outward thing you can see without remembering the inward reality of who dwells in us. Who is it that Christ pours out into our hearts to baptize our hearts and make our hearts new so that we might live with whom he brings us regeneration and the washing of renewing.